The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. It was many years ago when President Theodore Roosevelt once made this very significant statement. He said that comparison is the thief of joy. Now, the reason why these words still ring true for every single one of us in our world today as much as they did the time that he spoke them is because every single one of us, we want to feel competent, right? Every single one of us, we want to be acceptable. We want to be desirable. We want to be lovable. And so my question for you today as we get started is just simply this, what's your mirror? Right? What's your mirror? In other words, who or what are you going to look to and use as a reference point to tell you that you're doing okay? Now, I'm going to talk about this for a moment, and I want you to think about your answer to this question. Because, see, for some of you, for some of you, it's just one person, right? There's just this one person that if you could get him or you could get her to go, you're awesome, right? That would make your day. It would make your month. It would make your year. For some of you, it's your sister-in-law who never says anything nice to you. It's your brother, maybe. It could be your dad or your parents. It could be somebody that you work with, maybe somebody in your industry even. It could be that influencer on Instagram that you hope mentions you someday. It could be that mommy blog you want to get reposted on. It could be your GPA. It could be the school that you go to or that you hope to go to someday. But see, the truth is, every single one of us, we have one or more things that we look to to tell us that we're doing okay, that we're doing all right. What, what is that for you? And see, every single day for each of us as we live our lives and we try to answer that question, um, something else begins to take place. And this isn't a religious thing. This is just a, a people thing. But every single day as we try to live and, and we think about this, in the back of our minds, we begin to wonder. And we wonder, I wonder if I'm acceptable. I wonder if I'm measuring up. I wonder if I'm making the grade. I wonder if he'll always love me. I wonder if she'll always love me. I wonder what my kids think about me. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if I'm okay. And see, the amazing thing is that Jesus and the teachings of Jesus offer an explanation as to where that whisper comes from But not only that, also why we wonder about that and why that question rolls around in the back of our minds. And the explanation is found in the town of Bethlehem. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Galatians chapter 4. If you want to follow along in one of those Bibles in the seat back in front of you, you can find this beginning on page 1813. Galatians chapter 4 is where the Apostle Paul gives to us his version of the Christmas story. And the interesting thing about this particular section of Scripture, especially if you're not a Bible person or maybe you're a Bible skeptic, is that even those people who who do not believe in the authority of Scripture, um, even those people, they all agree. There's no argument about the fact that this was actually written by the Apostle Paul and it was written in 52 or 53 A.D. because this was written before the Emperor Nero died and he he died in 52 A.D. and the Apostle Paul was executed by Nero, and so really there's no argument about when this was written, which means that this section of Scripture was written 20 years after Jesus' death and his resurrection. It was written 55 years after the birth of Jesus. 
And so the Apostle Paul is looking back. And so this section of Scripture we're going to look at today, it's written by a man who's looking back. He's looking back at the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he's telling us the significance of the Christmas story as it relates to you and as it relates to me. And he begins by saying this in verse 4. He says, but when the set time had fully come. In other words, he's telling us that God marked his calendar for a very, very specific moment when everything would finally be ready. God sent his son, born of a woman. Now, don't rush by that last statement too quickly, especially if this whole thing seems a little mysterious to you, maybe a little bit odd to you. As romanticized as we have made this part of the story, as many times as we've seen this part of the story played out in nativity scenes and in manger scenes and in cartoons and by perfectly manicured people who look an awful lot more like us than they actually looked like them. For the Apostle Paul who lived in the first century and who knew these people personally, for him to come to the conclusion that God did in fact have a son who was born of a woman, right? this is something that we should pay attention to. And then it's the Apostle Paul who brings us to the significance of the story. Born of a woman, he says, born under the law. And see, this is where the Christmas story begins to intersect with your story and with my story. Because maybe you didn't know this, but Jesus, he was born under the law just as you and I were. The Apostle Paul would say that when you were born, when I was born, we were all born under the law. Now, maybe you didn't know that. Maybe nobody ever told you that before. But it's the law that's written in the Old Testament. It's the law that's explained in the New Testament. Even the law that's written on our hearts which is that thing inside of you that from time to time says, you know, I probably should do that, or I should probably stop doing that. Or that's not right, that's not fair. Men shouldn't do that, women shouldn't do that. That's not okay. Things shouldn't happen that way. It's that thing inside of you that says people should or people shouldn't. It's that thing inside of you that regardless of your age, regardless of your background, regardless of if you've spent any time in church whatsoever, it's that universal sense of should or should not that's inside all of us. That is the law of God which is written on our hearts. And see, the truth is maybe you never stop to ask or to wonder or to question where did that actually come from? Maybe you just assumed it was the result of the way you grew up. Maybe you assumed it was the result of simply being an American. But the scripture teaches, and in fact life over time reveals to all of us, that there is a sense of should and should not in all of us, and that is the law of God, which has been written on our hearts. And see, the truth is, because of that, we know, right? We know that there is something that is wrong with us. We do, right? Now, we cover it up. We make excuses for it. We defend it. We learn to rein it in a little bit. We learn how to be polite. We learn how to be nice. We learn how to make peace. But at the end of the day, every single one of us knows that there is something that is just not quite right with us. And then we try to figure out what we're going to do about that. 
And we think, if I could ever achieve this or accomplish this, if I could ever get enough people to tell me that I'm good enough, maybe then I'll actually feel good enough. And that sense of acceptance that every single one of us have, that sense and that need to feel like we belong, that desire that every single one of us has to be wanted and to be valued, that, that need that we have where we think, if I could ever win her approval or his approval, if I could ever achieve, if I could ever accomplish, then maybe I would actually feel okay. And see, those things, they even work for a while. But ultimately, right, ultimately, even if we do get or achieve whatever it is that we think will cure that sense of there's just not something right in me, Ultimately, the Apostle Paul says the issue isn't that we haven't met the right person. The issue isn't that we haven't achieved enough or accomplished enough. The problem is none of that, the Apostle Paul would say. The problem is that when you and I were born, we were actually born into a broken relationship with our Creator. That there was a separation between creation and Creator. And because of that break... And I don't even know how to fully describe this, but because of that break, there is an insecurity... There is a loneliness. There is an emptiness that goes to the very core of our souls that no achievement, no body, no accomplishment, no thing will ever fully or finally satisfy. But, the Apostle Paul says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Which means that through Jesus, God did something for everyone. This is you, this is me, for all of us who were born under the law. That at the right time, God sent his son into this world to redeem. Now, redeem is an interesting word because redeem is a financial word. It's a transactional word. Redeem means to win back. It means to buy back. It means to rejoin those things that are separated, to reconnect something that has come apart, to purchase something. At the right time, God sent his son into this world to redeem or to buy back those who were under the law. But see, the problem is with the word redeem, this is a transactional term. It's not a very emotional term. It's not a very inspirational term. And what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand is something that perhaps we didn't even know before, which is that simply that redeem was the warm-up. Redeem was actually just the beginning. The Apostle Paul would say, don't miss this. Redeem was simply a means to an end. That God sent his son to redeem that we might receive. Paul says that what God did when he sent Jesus into this world, his goal was not simply to get you to heaven when you die. That was not the goal. The goal was not to simply say, okay, now things are right between you and God. His goal, God's goal, was much bigger than that, Paul would say. And so then the Apostle Paul, he reaches into his culture, he reaches into his world in a way that we can't fully appreciate to look for just the right metaphor, just the right word picture to describe what it is that God sent Jesus into this world for and what he wanted every single one of us to receive through him. And so the Apostle Paul, he settles in on this word Right here. 
adoption. That what God wanted when he sent Jesus into this world was to make it possible for you, for all of you, for me, for all of us to be adopted. In other words, he would say it was not enough from God's perspective that you were simply forgiven. It's not enough from God's perspective that your debt was paid. Because see, the Apostle Paul, what he understood is that what God wanted was more than that. What God wanted was a relationship because God knew that you can forgive somebody and still never have a relationship with them. God knew that a judge could look over a bench at a person who is guilty and say, I know you're guilty, and yes, I'm going to give you another chance, but you could still never have a relationship with that judge. God wanted something else. He wanted something different. What he wanted was a relationship with you, individually. And see, in the Apostle Paul's culture, when he used this word adoption, and when people read and people heard this word adoption, they didn't think what we think. Because in our world, when we hear adoption, our minds naturally go to adorable little babies and little toddlers, and we think to ourselves, okay, who in the world wouldn't want to adopt an amazing little baby, a beautiful little baby? And see, but my problem is this. My problem is I'm not an innocent little baby. I'm a big old nasty grown-up. But see, this is what was so amazing. This is what the Apostle Paul was saying. That God who knows you as an adult, God who knows everything that there is to know about you, God who knows your sin, God who knows your failure, God who knows where you never match up, God who knows your faults, God who knows all of your shortcomings, this God he sent his son into this world to make it possible for you with all your sin and with all your talent, with all of your lack of talent, with all of the things that make you you, whatever they may be, good, bad, or otherwise. This God made it possible for you to be adopted into his family, that you individually and personally would in fact become his child. It's not enough from God's perspective that you're just forgiven. It's not enough from God's perspective that you get to go to heaven someday. No, now God says, your family, your family, that as a follower of Jesus, you have been adopted. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, that invitation is open to you. Not simply to be forgiven by God. Not simply to to have things made right between you and God. But for you to actually become a part of the family of God. That God has chosen you individually. He has brought you in. He has made a way for you. He's made a place for you to belong. That you are actually wanted individually by the God of the universe. And see, in the first century, when people heard this, this was staggering to them. And it took the meaning and the significance of Christmas to an entirely different level. And so the Apostle Paul, looking back on all of it, says, I've heard the stories of the birth. I've heard the stories of the life of Jesus. I've spent time with Matthew and with Peter and with John. I've even hung out with Jesus' younger brother, James. 
And looking back at all of it, I I now understand what it is that God was up to in this world when he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. It wasn't simply a legal transaction. It wasn't simply a financial transaction. It was absolutely relational. And the best way I can describe it, the Apostle Paul says, is that you have been adopted into the family of God. Wow. And then he continues, and he says this in the next verse. And because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, this is absolutely remarkable because this little word here, Abba, is in fact an Aramaic term. And the Apostle Paul is writing in the language of Greek. And so this little word here, it is so relational, it is so emotional, that when the Apostle Paul was writing this in the Greek language, there was no equivalent. The closest equivalent that he could come to was the Greek word, Father. But when the Apostle Paul thought, okay, how do I capture the essence of what it is that God has done by sending his son Jesus into the world, he realized, I can't use the word father because father is too formal. And so he thought to himself, how do I communicate that relationship that exists between these people that God has chosen personally, these people that God has brought in individually through his son Jesus? And so he thought, I'm just going to go with the very same word that Jesus himself once used, the Aramaic word Abba, which literally means, in fact, it's so relational, it's kind of awkward to say because it literally means daddy or dad. And maybe you say to yourself, well, I don't know that I, I can say that about God. And the Apostle Paul would say, that feeling, that's my point. That is, in fact, the point of Christmas. Because there hasn't just been some kind of a transaction where you get an I'm forgiven stamp. Right? It's not just about the fact that you get to move from this group to that group. The Apostle Paul says, no, you have been adopted by your heavenly Father, and God is now your dad. And you can call him Abba. And then he continues by wrapping this up in verse 7, and he says this, So you, you are no longer slaves. Now, why in the world does he use the word slave here? Well, because in a slave relationship, right, it's all about the rules. Here's the five things that you have to do. Here's the three things you can't ever do. Here's what's going to happen to you if you don't obey the rules. Here's what's going to happen to you if you don't submit to me. And the Apostle Paul says, you're no longer slaves, because of what Jesus has done, because God is now your dad. You are no longer slaves. In other words, you no longer have to relate to God through behavior. You've been redeemed from that. And the Apostle Paul would say, any words, any language, any attitude that you use, any prayers that you use that somehow convey the idea of a lawkeeper or a dictator or a judge, He would say, listen, you've got to move past that. Christmas is about moving past that. You are God's child. 
And you have been invited to follow the example of your Savior and address him as dad, as daddy, as awkward and as scary as that might be. Because, see, the bottom line is this. Because of Christmas, because of Christmas, you are no longer to look at God through the lens of what you've done, but who you are, his child. That the message of Christmas is that God sent his son so that you could become his child. God sent his son so that you could become not just forgiven, but his child. What kind of a child? An adult child who has been forgiven and accepted regardless of what you've done. It was in 1847 that the French poet Adolphe Adams first penned the words of the carol that we now know as O Holy Night, and he wrote these very famous words. He wrote, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. And see, you've sung the next words of this song a thousand times, and yet the truth is, maybe their significance will dawn on you for the first time today. Because he wrote, and the soul felt its worth. I don't know what you think you are worth to God. I don't know how you pray. You may still pray to a law keeper. You may still pray to a judge. You may pray to a dictator. You may still try to barter with God. Do you know that if you're doing that, that's not what Christmas is about? Christmas is about God looking at you personally and saying to you individually, you are my child and I am your Abba. And that is the foundation of our relationship. Do you know what you're worth to God? You're worth Christmas. You are worth Christmas. You are worth God sending his son into this world, being born of a woman, being born under the law, to redeem those under the law. But see, that was all just a warm-up. It was all so that you could be adopted as his child. And see, some of you have said yes to that invitation. And some of you have yet to say yes. Some of you said yes many years ago as a child. Some of you said yes as teenagers. Some of you have said yes as adults. And we're still trying to get the significance of our own adoption from here to here. And yet some of you have never said yes to God's invitation to be adopted into his family. And see, the invitation is right here. It's right here. And maybe for the first time today, maybe for the first time tonight, you've come to understand that. You've come to realize that. In fact, if that's true, there is no better day that I can think of than Christmas to celebrate an adoption and to say yes to God's invitation to become a part and to be adopted into his family because Christmas, Christmas is what you're worth. 
And so as we close our time together this evening, I want to give you the opportunity, if you have never said to God before, yes, God, I'm going to get in the car with you and go home. God, I want to be your child. Heavenly Father, I want to say yes to your invitation to be your child, and I want to be on terms with you where I can actually think of you as my Heavenly Father, as my Abba, as my Dad. And if so, I want to lead you in a prayer. And this prayer, it doesn't make you God's child. This prayer is just simply a way that you can say yes to to God's invitation to become part of his family. Yes, God, I want that. Yes, God, I believe that. And see, the scripture teaches that when we place our trust, when we place our faith in who Jesus is and what it is that he has done for each of us, dying for our sin, When we say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me so that he could redeem me, so that you could adopt me. The scriptures teach that when that happens, you are, in fact, born again. Or as the Apostle Paul would say, adopted into the family of God. And see, listen, if you're here tonight, And if you're thinking to yourself, okay, I don't know that I'm quite ready for that. I mean, this is interesting. I haven't thought about it that way before. But the truth is, I still have a a pile of questions, and you haven't answered any of my questions. Here's all I would say to you tonight. You're wanted here. You're wanted here. You and your questions are wanted here. You are valuable here. You'll be accepted here. You can be loved here. And I want, and we want, to help you answer those questions as long as it takes. Because the invitation remains open. Because Christmas, Christmas, is for you. Let me pray for you tonight. Heavenly Father, every single one of us walked into this building this evening knowing that it was Christmas Eve. And yet the truth is, maybe we didn't realize that Christmas Eve was an invitation. An invitation to adoption. An invitation to call you dad that the very first Christmas gift any of us have ever received was the invitation to become a part of your family through what Jesus has done for us and for each of us. Paying for my sin, paying for our sin so that we could be redeemed, so that you could adopt us individually. And Father, for those people maybe who have come to that understanding for the very first time this evening, I would just simply say, you can say these words to yourself, you can repeat them after me, you can change them if you want, but simply say this, Heavenly Father, I am saying yes to your offer to become a part of your family so that you can be my dad, so that you can be my Heavenly Father, so that you can be my Abba. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for your love for every single one of us. And thank you for bringing us in, giving us a place to belong, and making us a part 
of your family. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.